So we read together the, the story from John's gospel of what happened on that first day of the week. And, and I, don't, I don't know exactly why this is, but for some reason, at these, these sunrise gatherings, I, I kind of think just focusing on the story is, it's just a good thing to do. You know, this is, this is something that really happened. And so just to go back and to think about it, and one of the things that I just love about the Bible and about these stories is just, they're, they're just so real. It, it, when you read it, you're like, wow. That, yeah, this, this, is, this, is, this is how it happened. And, and you think here in the passage in John that was read to us, you know, you have... You have Peter and John in a foot race to the tomb. <laughs> and John even decides to tell us that he won. <laughs> he beat Peter to the tomb. But then you have this, this observation of, of the grave clothes. Strange situation. And then they return to where they were. They return to the place that they were staying. And it says basically that they were perplexed. They, they really didn't quite get it at that point. Now, now, John says that, so him and Peter raced to the tomb. John got there first. Peter came behind and then and then Peter looked into the tomb and then John tells us that he then after Peter looked into the tomb and then John says this he says and when he looked into the tomb he saw and believed so something happened with John at that moment that that he believed but then it tells us that they really didn't even understand at this point that Jesus was to rise from the dead. And then, of course, Mary is here in the story. And with Mary, we have a woman who is grieving. She is disoriented. She has an encounter with two angels and seems like she doesn't even realize that they're angels. And then she mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Now, here, here's what I want us to get as we think about these things. All of these things have just this ring of truth about them. This doesn't sound like a made-up story because of the peculiar details Things that wouldn't matter at all. If, you know, if you were making up a story and you wanted to convince people, you would leave a bunch of these things out. I mean, who would talk about, hey, I, we were in a race and I won. Or um, we, we really didn't even know that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. You know, if you, if you were making this story up, you, you would have kind of like 
Well, it was just as we expected when we got there. So, this is not at all myth or legend. This is straightforward historical narrative. C.S. Lewis, the great literary scholar, he said this. Because in his day, as we have in this day, people would try to uh, relegate these stories into the realm of myth or legend. Lewis said this, he said, I have been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths, all my life. I know what they are like, so if someone tells me that something in a gospel is legend, I want to know how many legends they have read. In essence, Lewis said, the gospels are not myth or legend they are history. And so we just have this straightforward historical narrative. It's very ordinary in all of its humanness, but in the midst of the ordinary, there is also the extraordinary. Think about a few of these things here. Now, Jesus, of course, had died, and he was placed in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed with a stone, not just having a a stone rolled across the, the front of the tomb, but it was sealed by a Roman seal, and there was a guard that was placed there to secure it. Now, John, as a matter of fact, Mark, Luke, and John don't tell us about the guard. Matthew is the only one who tells us about the guard. But, but think about this. So these women who had followed Jesus from Galilee, and like everyone else, you know, fully expected something completely different than what happened in Jerusalem. They had fully expected that Jesus was going to uh, proclaim himself the, the Messiah, the Savior. But we know the story. Things went a different direction. Jesus was taken and executed. And so he's placed in this tomb and these women are determined to, to tend to his body. So they come to the tomb, as it says here, Early on the first day of the week, while it, is, it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw something that completely shocked her. Now, the Gospels tell us, Mary wasn't all by herself, but the other Gospels tell us that one of the questions in their mind, because they were tending, their, their purpose was to tend to the body of Jesus. One of the questions in their mind was, how are we going to move the stone? A gravestone like you would have at this time in Jewish history would have weighed between one and two tons. So this is an insurmountable obstacle. How are we going to move this stone? But when they went to the tomb, they saw that the stone had been removed already 
from the entrance. So that's, that's pretty extraordinary right there. And the tomb that they fully expected to find Jesus in, <coughs> the tomb was empty. And the guards were gone. Now, I was thinking about this. I, I don't even know if the women knew there were guards at the tomb. Because the guards were sent at the request of the Jewish leaders to the Roman governor. He sort of reluctantly said, okay, you've got a guard. Go, go make the tomb as secure as you can. And perhaps the women didn't even know that the guards had been there. But when they arrived, the guards were not there. Now, a Roman guard would have been anywhere from a minimum of four to 16 men. And remember, these are the men that conquered the world. So if there were four to 16 Roman guards guarding a tomb, there's no way you're going to get into that tomb. It's sealed. The, the governor's seal is on it. But yet, the guards themselves are gone. But then we read about, as I mentioned, we read about the grave clothes. And this is really interesting, the grave clothes. Because with the grave clothes, you have this situation where it, it says here in verse 6, Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, think about this, because the rumor that was spread was that people had come and stolen the body. But who would unwrap the body before they stole it? And when it says that the, the piece that was covering the head was, was rolled up and, and set over by itself, it, it could also be translated that it was folded and put in a place of its own. And so this is extraordinary. If you were to rob a grave you, to, to take the body, you would just swoop it up and take it. But the grave clothes were still there. And they were, it, it seems like, although we don't know for sure, it seems like what's being implied is that they were just as though there was a body in them, but there was no body in them, with the exception of the piece that wrapped around the head. Another extraordinary thing would be the angels. But as I said, Mary didn't even seem to recognize them. And the most extraordinary thing was when Mary turned thinking the man speaking to her was the gardener and suddenly revealed it was, or suddenly realized it was Jesus himself. And it seems that she recognized him because of the way he spoke her name. Because he'd spoken to her before. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? 
They've taken away the body of my Lord. If you know where they've put him, let me know. I will come and I will carry him away. And then these words, Mary. And perhaps, and I think even probably, uh, Jesus had a way of saying Mary's name that she just knew that there's no one that says my name like that. And suddenly she proclaims Rabboni, my teacher. Now, this is the extraordinary part of the story. And this is why people today want to relegate it to myth and legend because, okay, those other bits, that's fine. Yeah, we could see that happening. But we're not going to buy this thing about angels and, and surely we're not going to buy this thing about, you know, somebody who was dead being alive now. But let's not forget that this didn't just happen randomly or unexpectedly or out of nowhere. Remember, there's a history behind this. And in that history, Jesus Jesus had declared that he would rise from the dead. And remember, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary rabbi. He wasn't just a teacher, although he was that. But Jesus was most well known for his miraculous power. And there were eyewitness accounts of Jesus himself having raised people from the dead on at least three occasions. We read the story in the Gospels about uh, a man with a, a daughter, a 12-year-old daughter. The man's name was Jairus. And his daughter had died. And he came to Jesus in desperation. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. Well, of course, she was dead. And everybody knew she was dead. But then Jesus went into the room and he put his hands on her and he said, little lamb, rise up. And she arose. And then we have that brilliant story. It's so brief, but so powerful in Luke's gospel where there's a funeral procession in this little village of Nain. And as Jesus and his disciples are descending into the village, they come upon this procession and it is a young man who has died. He's being carried uh, over to be put in the grave. And in the procession, his mother is walking along and she's lamenting because she's a widow and this is her only son. And Jesus stops the procession and he walks over and he takes the young man by the hand and he pulls him up and returns him to his mother. Wow. And you know what it says after that? It says the people were blown away. <laughs> My translation. And they said, we have never seen anything like this. And then they said, God has visited his people. And they were right. 
But the most dramatic resurrection story is one that I think most of us know. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And that story is right here in this gospel. And you remember perhaps the story. Lazarus, he's the brother of, of Martha and Mary. They are in, intimate friends of Jesus. And Lazarus becomes sick and Jesus and the disciples, uh, they're in another part of the country. And so a message is sent to Jesus from Mary and Martha. Please come, the one you love is sick. And so the message reaches Jesus and the disciples say to him, we, we should go. And Jesus says that, basically Jesus tells them that, that Lazarus has died. Well, first he says, First, he says he's sleeping. He uses the word sleeping. And they say, well, okay, if he's sleeping, that's good. He's resting and he's going to recover. And then Jesus clarifies, no, he's dead. And then Jesus says this, and he says, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you might believe. And so they make their way to Bethany. Lazarus has been in the tomb now for four days. When Jesus arrives, Martha meets him first and she's just so disappointed. Lord, why didn't you come? We sent the message to you. Why did you delay? If you would have come, my brother would never have died. And that's where Jesus said the most profound words that any person has ever said. Your brother will live again. I know he'll live I know, Lord, I know the resurrection, he'll live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then, what did Jesus say? He said, command them to remove the stone. And they said, no, Lord, it's, the body's, it's too late. The body's decomposed. There will be a great stench. This will be unpleasant. And Jesus says, did I not say that if you believed you would see the glory of God. And they moved away the stone and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And so again, my point is simply this. We shouldn't be surprised that the story goes on to tell us that Mary met Jesus raised from the dead in the garden. Because Jesus had said of himself, he said this on a number of occasions in, in different ways, but he said, uh, destroy this temple, speaking of his body. When they came to him, the religious leaders who were opposing him, they said, by what authority do you do these things? He had just cleansed the temple because they had defiled it with their perversity and with their greed and and all of that. And he, cleansed, he drove them out of the temple. And they said, by what authority do you do these things? And he said, this is my authority. Destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I will raise it again. But let's not forget either that 
God had promised in the scriptures to one day destroy death. You know, the Bible teaches us, the big, big question that everybody still has that's never been answered is, why do people die? Well, the Bible teaches us that death was never intended. It came in, it invaded and intruded into God's good creation through sin. But God had declared, he had promised through the prophets that one day he would destroy death. He said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. He also said that he would destroy the surface of covering, cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. So this shouldn't, and, and it, it wasn't, once it, once it dawned on them that all of these things, and John even says that in his gospel about um, the statement of Jesus, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. John said, after Jesus rose, then we remembered that he said that and we thought, this is what he was talking about. And all of those promises that were there contained in the prophetic scriptures about God's ultimate victory over death, this is now all happened. Now, I have to say, though, the one thing that struck me, because normally when I would, you know, walk through this passage here, I normally would not take us all the way through to the 23rd verse. Normally we would have probably stopped right there at verse 18. But this is what struck me. The connection, and I don't know why this struck me. I mean, this is, it's pretty obvious, but, but I don't know, for some reason, this, this time around, it, it really struck me. The connection here between what has just happened and then the commission to go into the world with the message of forgiveness of sins. Now, we all know, right, that, of course, that's what the gospel is all about, forgiveness of sins. But I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe sometimes we forget. We live in a world where, and we live in a culture especially, where just the, even the idea of sin is just completely taboo. It's like, don't talk to us about sin. We don't believe in that. We don't want to hear that. That's not, that's not a reality. But it is a reality. It is the reality that continues to ruin our lives and the lives of people around us. But the beauty is that, you see, Jesus died and rose again to destroy death, but to destroy the cause of death. 
Not just to destroy death, but death has a cause. There's a reason why there is death. And that reason is sin. The Bible tells us by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. You see, even though we a lot of times do not make this connection, sin is the root of all of our troubles. Sin is the root of all of our troubles. Because of sin, we're spiritually dead and separated from the God who created us to live in relationship with him. You see, that's the, that's the point. That's the problem. You were not created. I was not created to live independent of God. And as we seek to do that, that's called sin. And that's the root of all of our trouble. We think we know better. We think we can do it. We don't need assistance, especially from a God who's going to try to tell us stuff that we don't want to hear. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they act like they're the only people in the world who don't want to be told what to do. Guess what? Nobody wants to be told what to do. <laughs> I don't want to be told what to do. Just ask Cheryl. She's always trying to tell me what to do. And it just never ends well. <laughs> and she doesn't like me trying to tell her what to do either. But you see, we don't know what to do. We think we do. And so we live our lives trying to be independent from God, even though we can't be because we couldn't exist apart from him. But we try to be independent of him. And sooner or later, we just screw everything up. That's, that's the reality. It never finishes any differently for those who persist in living without God. Now, the cross and the resurrection are God's answer to this problem. And so we're told Jesus was delivered up. He died on the cross for our offenses. He died on the cross for our sins. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. He was raised from the dead so we could have a right standing before God. And you see, the resurrection, the resurrection is the proof to all of us that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient. Jesus said, I'm going to give my life for the life of the world. And then he dies. If he would have stayed dead, I know Jesus said that, I guess it didn't work. How would we know? Well, this is, this is the way God has told the whole world that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient to take away sin. He raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. Uh, 
and our sins are forgiven. And listen, the resurrection, that we need to, we need to see the bigger picture. The resurrection is the beginning of God's new creation. If you were here for the very beginning of the service this morning, that quote Char read from G.K. Chesterton was just absolutely amazing, so powerful. The essence of it was in that garden on that morning was the first day of the new creation. You see, the resurrection is the beginning of God's new creation, and we become a part of that by having our sins forgiven and being reborn into a new life of communion with God that begins now and goes on eternally. You see, that's the message. Here's the question. Have you received the new life that the resurrected Christ offers. If not, you can. You can today. And we do that by <clears throat> repenting and believing. Now, let me say something. The word repent has gotten a bad, I don't know, rap <laughs> and maybe it's because in at times and in places there have been screaming preachers saying repent but you know repent is actually a really beautiful word you know what it is it's simply an invitation by God to turn around that's 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 what it is Repent, when Jesus said repent, he was just simply saying, turn. Hey, hey, people, you're going the wrong direction. No, there's disaster ahead. Don't stop, stop. Turn, turn around. That's what repent is. Turn and believe. And believe what? Believe this story. Believe that. God fulfilled his promise that he sent his son to save us. Now, if you do believe that, which I know many of you do, let us live this new life, this life of the age to come that we now have a taste of. Let us live this new life as fully as possible until the day when it comes in all its fullness in the presence of Christ, the one who died and is alive forevermore. I'll close with this. We all know the word gospel means good news, right? This is the best news there ever could be. And I just want to let you know right now, you'll never, ever, 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 ever find any news better than this news. This is the greatest news of all time. I read an article yesterday by a 
writer in the LA Times. And he was, you know, there, there's recent uh, studies that have come out that church attendance is the lowest it's been uh, in this country since, the, since polling began to take place back in the 1930s. It's the lowest ever. And he said, hey, this is great news. He was thrilled about this. But then he talked about how, you know, religion is the problem of everything and we don't need it and we, we, can, we can do so well on our own. And, you know, and then he pointed to all these wonderful examples of how great we do everything. And as I read it, I just thought, I wonder what planet he lives on. Because <laughs> this doesn't really bear any <laughs> semblance to the one that I live on. No, there's no better news. This is the good news. And that's why these people who met the risen Jesus also went out into the world to tell everybody about it. And so we've got great news. Let's cherish it and let's share it. So Lord, we thank you that this story is true. We thank you that these things really did happen in time and space. And Lord, we thank you for all of the implications here in the story. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us who have embraced the reality of the risen Christ. Lord, that we would be living in all the fullness of the new life that you've given to us until you appear and bring that in its totality. Thank you, Lord, that we are partakers of the new creation. And Lord, I pray for anyone that is with us today that is yet to, to enter into this new life. I pray Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that, that you would, Lord, woo them. I pray that they would just know that the path of sin truly does lead to destruction. But you have laid out for us the path of righteousness, walking with you. And Lord, that happens as we believe the story, as we believe that it's true, and as we submit our lives to the one who died and rose again so we could live. So may hearts be opened. May lives be transformed on this day in Jesus' name.